Thank you, sir. <laughs> There's a donut below me. <laughs> Time ran out. Time ran out. Make it enjoy it. Let's thank uh, Dave and Brian one more time. Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave. I, uh, <clears throat> so when we're just hanging out, it's Mott's. But on Sunday, it's Pastor Dave. <laughs> I got to get used to that. Hey, uh, I'm so glad you're here today. We're going to continue our series on family matters, talking about our earthly families and the church family together, because oftentimes the, the Bible talks that way, where instructions for the earthly family are similar or same as the church family, and uh, vice versa. Before I get started, I just want to introduce uh, my sister and brother-in-law, Bob and Diane, are here from Lodi. We're glad they're visiting. <clears throat> thank you, thank you, thank you. And we've had, we, had, we had a great weekend, uh, so uh, anyway, really, glad, really great to see them here. Like I told you, we get, we get, we get a lot of visitors. We get a lot of visitors. <laughs> anyway, so today we're talking um, in, in the context of this conversation on family matters. We're, we're going to talk about how the body, the physical body, go ahead and go ahead and pinch yourself gently, not your neighbor, just yourself. <clears throat> but the body matters to God. The body counts. The body matters to God. And, and I say that, and many of us already know that. But in the, in the scriptures, you will often see instructions on how to be uh, uh, morally, uh, physically, sexually pure versus sexual immorality. And there's a reason for that. Um, in the church, during the New Testament time, there was a group of people called Gnostics uh, in the church. Their teachings were becoming popular in the church. And what they, in, in, the most basic way to teach this, what they were teaching was the, the, the body or matter doesn't matter. You can be right with God in spite of how you live in the physical body. Uh, and so what that was doing, basically people were saying you, you can, you can join in, uh, for example, with the, the temple prostitutes back in that day. There were some religions that actually had temple prostitutes, but you, you could be, uh, physically and sexually um, what we would call outside the will of God and be right with God. And they were teaching that. And, of course, people in the church, they, they, were, they were buying into that. They were buying into that. And so what the leaders of the church had to constantly be reminding the church of is you are no longer who you were. You are new in Christ. And part of being new in Christ is your body matters and to be right with God, we've got to have our body aligned with the purposes and the will of God as far as his plan for the physical body and for human sexuality. This is a huge conversation in our culture right now. But I want to focus on the church. Everyone say church. <clears throat> Revival starts with the church. Amen to that. So I'm not going to talk about the culture right now. <clears throat> I could. Pretty easy. But we're going to talk about the church, um, because this scripture in 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul is going to address the church in the context of this area of the body, uh, human sexuality, and how it does matter to God. It does matter to God. So, 
1 Corinthians 5, we're going to primarily stay in that scripture. And we're going to weave in a couple other verses along the way. But primarily in 1 Corinthians 5, just kind of a, not even an overview at all, but just a statement about Corinthians. The Corinthian church was as messed up as a church could be. And maybe some of you are here and you're like, oh, I've been in some messed up churches. You haven't been in this church. I don't care how messed up you think your church has been or a church experience you've had in the past. This one was the worst in every imaginable area, including this area of human sexuality. So there's a lot of instructions in Corinthians because of the nature of the church, and there had to be a lot of correction. So we benefit from that as Christ followers as we read through First and Second Corinthians, because we get a lot of instructions on how to live our lives uh, because of the correction that was taking place to the church in Corinth. What, what generally happened, let me just kind of summarize it, the world got into the church. The culture permeated the church. What's supposed to happen is the church is supposed to permeate the culture. Right? That's what's supposed to happen. Uh, but oftentimes, the influence of the culture and the world is strong. It's really strong. And uh, sometimes it's just a lot easier to go with the flow. Anybody? <clears throat> it's a lot easier to go with the flow. Uh, but oftentimes, the scripture is countercultural. C- cultural. Countercultural. So let's just read this. I'm going to walk through it and just kind of compliment as I go, uh, comment as I go. But here's what the Apostle Paul says in this next section of this uh, letter. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality, uh, where we get our word uh, uh, porn, pornea, okay? So we get our word. Sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. Uh-oh. This is bad, right? Now, I don't know if there's any more kind that today's world doesn't tolerate. I'm not sure. But apparently back in this day, uh, where sexual immorality, as we would define it according to Scripture, it was rampant in Rome. It was part of the culture. It was acceptable. It was normal. Like I said earlier, they literally had religions where part of your act of worship was temple prostitutes. Now, that's going pretty far. That's going pretty far. So Paul says, look, I'm, I'm getting this word, this feedback about your church, and uh, you're tolerating, uh, you're, you're, you're not doing something about <laughs> the fact that somebody in your church is living in such a way that would even make non-believers blush. Think about that. And, and here's what it is. A man is sleeping with his father's mother most likely uh, a stepmom in this in this scenario. And the apostle Paul's going, What are you what are you what are you doing? You ever have to have to confront a friend or a family member and you're like, What are you doing? Anybody you ever, you ever have that? What are you This is so obvious that you shouldn't be doing this. What are you doing? So verse two he goes on. And you are proud, exclamation point. Here's the part, I think, that really um, just kind of got to the Apostle Paul. He's like, and you're proud of it. You're, you're, 
you feel good about yourself that you're tolerating, you are misinterpreting what being grace-oriented is all about. Grace is when somebody blows it, sins, does something they know they shouldn't, and they feel bad about it. Come on. Everyone in this room knows what I'm talking about. And we need the mercy and grace of God, right? That's different from doing something we know we shouldn't do, and we feel good about it. And that's what was happening here. He goes, and you're proud. He said, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? And again, to the Apostle Paul, this is a no-brainer. This is not a, this is not a heavy revy. Anybody? Kind of a Pentecostal crowd here, you know? Not a heavy revy. This is like low fruits. This is base, basic stuff. So this scenario, and let me just say this. There's a proverb, 16, 18, and it says this. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Pride goes before a fall. Here, you and I have two choices in life when it comes to pride and humility. We can either live humbly or life will humble us. Those are the only two options. Some of you looking for a third way. There isn't one. I've looked. <laughs> okay. That's my confession for the day. There is no other one. Either we live humbly or life will humble us. This reminded me of a section in Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is laying his foundation that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. All of us. All of us. In Romans 1.32, in in that uh, teaching... He says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, right? The wages of sin we know is what? Death. Uh, but the grace of God leads to eternal life. But they deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. They become promoters of what they already know is not good. In God's eyes. And and let me remind you, every time God gives you and me an instruction, including the area of human sexuality, it's for your benefit and your protection. Every time. Every time. Freedom comes through obedience, not disobedience. Disobedience will lead you to bondage. Lead me to bondage. Do you believe that today? Verse 3, for my part, Apostle Paul, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. <laughs> this is great leadership stuff right here. <laughs> this is so awesome. He's still there. And he's about to make a declaration that's going to influence this church. I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present uh, with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus. So he's already made a decision on what should happen in this situation, in the church. Everyone say, in the church. Just want to remind you, don't drift out to the culture right now. Stay with me in the church. He's already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus 
on the one who has been doing this. Verse 4, so when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, <laughs> love it, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Here's what's happening here. Paul's saying, look, we're, we're going we're gonna to introduce church discipline for the sake of restoration. Church discipline should always be for the sake of restoration, if possible. Always be for the sake of restoration. So what does it mean to hand this man over to Satan? Remove him from the covering of the church. That's what he's talking about. He'll be out there, no longer in the covering of the church. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your journey with Christ. Um, but when you leave the fellowship of believers, and you are no longer in the... In, in that network, and you're no longer with praying people praying for you, and you're praying for them, you're not hearing the word on a regular basis, it does not take long to drift right into culture, into the spirit of the world, and what I, I call the zeitgeist of this world, the spirit of this world. It didn't take long at all. I think I mentioned for guys, it's about three days. That might be gracious for some of us guys, too. Three days. <laughs> doesn't take long. But he's saying, look, this, the, the, he needs to be removed from the fellowship. You shouldn't tolerate this. Uh, this makes non-believers blush. They're looking at you funny. Uh, so church discipline, though, is for restoration. He goes on in verse 6. He says this, your boasting is not good. Just turn to someone and say, don't boast. Come on, help me out. Just turn to someone. Don't boast. Don't boast. And don't, don't do the humble brag. Come on. You ever, you ever hear someone, the humble brag, they, they're trying to play it off like, oh, no. But somehow it just kind of goes around and they're, they're all that and a side of guacamole anyways, you know. <clears throat> Your boasting's not good. <clears throat> then he goes on, don't you know uh, that little yeast leavens the whole batch? Now, this could be a whole teaching on Passover. I haven't got time to talk about it. But when the, uh, when the Jews were still in captivity and God was freeing them from the Egyptians, and uh, he said put the blood over the doorpost, and then when they left, uh, don't put any uh, leaven in, in the bread. Anyway, it's a whole teaching on this. And he's basically be talking about uh, how, how sin can start to influence others if it's not addressed. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. If, if, if Satan has a foothold, right, if he gets his foot in the door, then, uh, or in the Middle East, if, if the camel gets his nose in the tent. I always like that one. I don't know why. Just I had a chance to be in the Middle East for a while, and uh, so that one just sticks with me. Uh, you know how we drive down the freeway and we see cows? You drive down there and you see, like, camels running around. It's kind of funny. Uh, but if, if he gets his nose in the tent, they say eventually he'll get inside the hole. Tent, but sin's the same way. So get rid of the old yeast so that you may uh, be a new unleavened batch as you really are. Keep part there. As you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let me just break this down for you. Become who you are. Verse Remaining who you were. 
This is real important. No matter what tape's playing in your mind, God wants you to know he's doing a new work in you. And everything God touches is good. All that new work is good in you. Um, He's transforming who you are, who I am, to our very core, our very soul, our very spirit. So God wants us to continue to become who we are versus remaining who we were. We are new in Christ. Do you believe that today? Brand new. Brand new. When we have water baptism in August, which I'm excited about, right, we're celebrating the new birth when we have water baptism. If you have not been baptized in water, I'm going to encourage you um, to get a connection card, fill it out, put it in a little box back there, and we want, we want to baptize you. Or if you know somebody that's a Christ follower and they have not yet been baptized, we want to baptize you. But we want to remain. Uh, we, we don't want to remain who we were. We want to become who we we are. And that's what's happening in the context of the scripture here in 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, the church is allowing someone to remain who they were versus become who God is making them. Verse 9, he goes on. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. Tracking? Are you tracking? You know, Jesus was called a friend of sinners. And that was not a compliment. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Pharisees tried to, tried to discredit him by saying, look at this guy, man. He hangs out with all these sinners. You know, Jesus is going, you guys just don't get it at all. He was a friend of sinners. He says, verse 10, not at all meaning the people of this world, who are immoral, or the greedy, the swindlers, or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. Now, there are some Christians, none of you, none of you, hopefully none of you online, but there are some Christians that, that kind of might have a us four and no more. Get around the campfire, sing kumbaya till Jesus comes. Come on, help me out. Everyone, we, this, this, if you're not careful, this is going to happen to you. And me too. Especially people who work at churches. You've got to be careful. Uh, if you're not careful, the older you get in Christ, the less non-believing people you're going to know. It's a sociological development. And so Paul's saying, look, I'm not, I'm not telling you not to associate the, with those who are in the world. Of, of course. Everyone say, of course. Of course you're going to associate with people. It's part of your mission to be light and salt in the world. Like Jesus did, right? He goes, look, what I'm talking about is someone that claims to be Christians, but they're living like they're in the world. Verse 11, but now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy or an adulterer or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. I always like the word, I like to add the word gossip here because it's on other lists. Let me tell you one thing you never want to do. You never want to confess a sin for prayer to a person whose sin is gossip. I would not recommend that. You don't want to do that. <laughs> 
You don't want to pour your heart to someone that struggles with gossip. He says, do not even eat with such people. There, there's, there's Paul saying, look, you can't act like how they're living is okay. You can't do it. You can't live. You can't love them. You can't pray for them. You can't meet with them. You can't have an intervention. Anyone, anyone ever been part of an intervention? Woo! I've been, I've been at one. I didn't want to go. The guy doing it said, I need, I need you there. I'm going, all right, no, you don't. Because <laughs> yeah, I do. Wow, that was awkward. Woo, that person was not a happy camper. But they got help, thank God. They got help. But don't even need such a person. Here's a pro tip for all of us today. Uh, let's stop expecting non-believers to act like believers and start expecting believers to act like believers. Sometimes, oh man, this is so fun. Sometimes in the church, right, Christians are looking at non Folks, if I was not a believer, folks, I have a hard time living for Jesus as a believer. With the spirit in me, the word in me, accountability, married to whom I'm married to, holds my feet to the fire. God knew what I needed. But so often... Instead of seeing the world as our mission, we condemn, judge, and stay away from, which is the exact opposite. You don't need to affirm someone's lifestyle to still love them and care for them and pray for them and be, be, be a light and salt to them, right? We all agree on that? Amen. I'm taking your word for it. So let's, let's not expect non-believers to act like believers. But... Let's nudge each other on, encourage each other, prompt each other, right, to live life the way God wants us to live. Uh, and we do that relationally, right? You don't, you don't just have the right to speak in someone's life if you're not in a relationship with them. You're getting a relationship. So, but at that point, once there's a relationship, uh, we have, we have the, 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 uh, almost the responsibility to speak the truth in love when we see something that's going on. Uh, verse 12, Paul says, What business is it of mine? Ooh, we should read this together. Let's read this together, right? What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Let's read that together one more time. Just make sure we're on the same page. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? I just took away one person's what they thought was their spiritual gift. Come on. So in this room, man, you thought that was your gift. It's not. It's not. Paul says, are you not to judge those inside, right? Make judgment calls according to the scripture. In love. Speak the truth in love. Of course. He says, look, verse 13, God will judge those outside. And one thing I've learned is humans are bad judges. Really bad. We like to judge based on our own biases. It's kind of like respectable sins. You know what that is? The sins you do aren't so bad, but other people, whoa, those are bad. We're going to scale those as really bad. Mine, not so, not so bad. Others, bad. Bad. 
God will judge those on the outside. Then, he, then his final instruction here. Expel the wicked person from among you. Expel them. Just look. You're doing yourself a favor. You're doing them a favor. right? And you're honoring God when you do the right thing the right way. When you do the right thing the right way. I'm going to ask Pastor Dave to come back up. We have one more song. Um, but I just want to encourage you in the church, uh, the body matters. In the church, how we live, and we'll do, we'll talk about this more in the future. But human sexuality matters to God. Human sexuality matters to God. God has a design. He's got a plan. And He wants us to live in a way that honors Him. Um, and thank God for His grace when we don't, but He wants us to keep moving towards how He wants us to live. Let me pray for you. And then we'll sing. Father God, thank you so much for each person here. God, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful uh, even for this church that was struggling so much. God, we have so many great instructions from the Apostle Paul in these two letters. God, I pray for each one of us here, Father. God, no one's perfect. Well, feet of clay. But God, let us continually move towards a life, holiness in the body. Let us be reminded that the body matters. Uh, Let us be reminded, Father God, that we feel fractured when we do things we know we shouldn't do because of sin. But God, you want us to be whole, healthy, and in tight communion with you. And God, I pray that uh, you are honored here in this place in that way. I trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand as we sing?